Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. And we're back. Another Urban Foundry short. Paige, how are you feeling today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah? I'm doing all right. A lot of news these days. A lot of news. A lot of news on the office market, kind of... You know, the reality, you know, the, the headlines, if you read them, is that the office market, the rolling mortgages are going to cause the imminent collapse of Western civilization and the economy. Just a light headline. Just light headlines, <laughs> you know. And, and the reality is, is, I mean, it, to some of us, you know, this has been long predicted mm-hmm. reckoning, if you will. And I, and, I, and I don't think the headlines necessarily are wrong in their intent. I think... You know, and what we're going to get into this episode is we're going to walk our listeners through kind of how we think about these numbers and what it actually means. But I want I want to be really clear at the start of the episode that I think commercial real estate, if you're expecting a very fast boom, doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Our car crashes are in slow motion. <laughs> Deals take a long time. And in, in a lot of cases, I think the thing that a lot of the headlines are failing to assess is the fact that yes, there are waves of you know commercial mortgage-backed security or CMBS loans coming due, as well as other commercial mortgages in the office sector over the next three to five years. That is true, right? I do think there's going to be a lot of owners and lenders that have a hard time figuring out how to roll the debt over, whether that's a new mortgage or a workout, which is kind of a, a, an arrangement between a lender and a, and a purchaser and potentially other capital partners. Or in general, you know, how do we extend terms? So I think there's kind of a couple of things that I don't think the articles are pointing out. I'll start off at the top of the hour with one is the banks don't want these assets back either, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Here's 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 the reality: you're an owner, you're facing, you know, your mortgage is coming due, and in our world, which is different than residential, is that we have balloon payments at the end of our terms, right? So you'll do a traditional mortgage, and I'm not going to get too wonky and I'm not going to talk about the secondary market. We can, if you guys really want one, let us know in our comments and we'll do it, do a deep dive there on the, the, the intricacies of the bond market. But in general, most people think of mortgages as like residential mortgages, right? 30 years fixed. Mm -hmm. I have an interest rate. I make my payments. And at the end of 30 years, I've paid off my balance, right? Commercial is different. So in a residential loan, you'll have a 30-year term with a 30-year amortization. So the term of the loan, meaning how long are you committed to making payments and how that's amortized or spread out are equal to each other. In commercial, that can vary. So the term and the amortization period are usually different. So you can have a 10-year term, meaning I have 10 years of payments, mm-hmm. but my amortization could be 25 years or 20 years or 30 years or some other variation of that. Mm-hmm. And what that means is I pay for 10 years, but at the end of that 10 years, I still have all that time left that I got to pay down my balance. Mm-hmm. So I have a balloon payment. That's due. That's due, right. right? It's usually a pretty big chunk. Mm-hmm. So if you think about 10 out of 30, you've really only paid about a 30-year balance down. Rough numbers, right? right? And so you still owe two-thirds outstanding. 
Historically, this works. And over the last 40 years, it's worked great for owners because guess what happened? Interest rates in general were going down. Cap rates, which is how we value investment property, have been going down in tandem. And so by the time they got into their 10 years, their property was worth more than when they financed it 10 years prior. And so it was easy for them to go get a new loan and potentially even take equity out of the deal. Right. Right. And so it worked awesome. It worked great for brokers. It worked great for owners. It worked great <laughs> everyone for- Everyone was happy. Everyone worked, right? We had a 40-year peak interest rates, 1981. I think 15 or 16% was the benchmark Fed funds rate. That's the Fed funds rates. That's mm-hmm. overnight rates charged by the Fed Reserve. 15%. You know yeah. what we're at? We're going to tra- track to at the end of this year? Five to five and a quarter. Think about that. 3X. Three yeah. Three yeah. X higher, right? We yeah. say rates are high now. My parents buying their first house. You know, it's that old adage, right? I'm sure your parents love to rub that in you. I mean, Paige, car notes were 20%. I could could buy one on my American Express and have a lower APR. Right. Than my parents were getting probably, what was it, 1980 something. Yeah, they're like, my first house was... I know, we all hear it, right? 17%. It's like, Dad, I know you walked to school snow uphill (laughs) both ways. I get it. But it's true, right? right? So that's where we started benchmark-wise. And then it's only been really effectively on average, if you did a trend line going down. Mm -hmm. So the system is now going in reverse, right? And on top of it, we've had a cataclysmic shift. And I'm talking about office properties today. Yes, all property types are going to face some of this friction, Mm -hmm. period. But we're going to focus on office because it's the one that's in the headlines, right? Mm -hmm. They're the one that's been picked out as a redhead stepchild. Poor office. It's you know, and there's some great things going on in office. And so when we do these forecasts, we're talking very macro market. We're not talking individual properties. Mm-hmm. I want to be really clear because there's going to be some office buildings that will continue to do well and that are not in, you know, in, in, of concern, mm-hmm. so to speak. Now, mm-hmm. I think their owners probably have some macro concern if they're rolling debt, but if you're performing asset in general, I think you're going to have more options for this kind of awkward time. But the way we begin to understand it, right, this is not talking through, you know, debt financing intricacies. But what we're trying to take a look at is saying, okay, let's narrow our focus from the U.S. down to the entire Midwest, okay. right? And mm-hmm. so for our listeners, what cities are considered in this bucket for Midwest? It's Chicago, the largest. Second largest, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Third largest is Kansas City. And then it goes Detroit, Cleveland, and then Cincinnati, Dayton, Grand Rapids, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Omaha, and St. Louis. Okay. That's kind of our Midwest bucket. So major cities in the Midwest, Got Indianapolis uh-huh. is one of them. Perfect. Right? My hometown of Cleveland is one of them, right? Chicago is one of them, mm-hmm. right? Chicago is by far the biggest. Right. And so, and we're going to only focus on the downtown real estate. Okay. So we just named off the cities. The downtown inventory of office product in those cities, 388 million square feet. Okay. Chicago represents almost half of that. Wow. Just to give everyone kind of a sense of numbers, context and numbers. The next largest is Minneapolis-St. Paul, which is a third of Chicago's size from an office market standpoint. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? And so when we think about that and the vacancy right now across that entire region for downtown office is 18.5% direct vacancy rate. Okay. And mm-hmm. what does that mean? 72 million square feet vacant. Wow. Right. To give everyone a, a side context, what's industrial doing right now? Nationally, it's 4%. So very different worlds. Right. Right. And so maybe there's some validity into why office has been picked off. Mm-hmm. 
Here's the other thing, right? So we have 72 million square feet vacant across the Midwest in downtowns, in urban centers, Mm -hmm. right? That's a lot of space, period. Now, there is some positives in construction, but the amount of new construction is rather limited. Chicago only has 2 million square feet under new construction. What's surprising to me on this list, Cleveland has 1.2 million square feet of new construction in its downtown. Wow. Which is interesting. Go Cleveland. Go Browns. Detroit has 600,000 and then everyone else rounds out, you know, a little bit. Indianapolis for our listeners has about a hundred thousand square feet of new production, new production. Okay. So bottle works. Yep. Things like that. Right. Stutz wouldn't count because Stutz is a reposition of an existing asset. Okay. New construction ground up. Right. And most of the Chicago is being built in Fulton market. Mm -hmm. Just give everyone a tense, which we saw and we talked about. So how do we start making sense of these numbers? Right. We just threw a bunch of numbers at everybody and so the one piece of kind of comparison to say, okay, office is recovering, people are starting to come back, et cetera. Who's tracking this data? And if you follow the news, a lot of the data that's being reported on occupancy, right? And we can argue occupancy utilization and mm-hmm. all the nuances, but we'll just say occupancy. The one data source that seems to be kind of the single source of truth, and I say that kind of with Asterisks right. because it's not a perfect world, right? But Castle Systems, K is in kite, Castle, mm-hmm. like you would spell Castle Systems. They provide security and badging infrastructure for a lot of Class A towers, right? In the back end. So what they're tracking is badge swipe information, which I know can be a little bit to anyone in corporate real estate. They know that's not a perfect, well, mm-hmm. the best way to do is IP addresses and who actually brought their computer in. But, you know, honestly, it's, for data protection, badge swipes are probably the easiest. Okay. And so on average, over the top 10 largest metros across the U.S., as of March this year, only 50% utilization of offices. So half, 50% down from its 2020 peak. Mm-hmm. Austin, Texas is the one outlier close to 70% utilization. Wow. Austin, right? I think some of that is due to a couple of reasons. One, Different demographics, mm-hmm. younger, excuse younger. And then secondly, Austin in general, you know, I think you have a positive net population growth, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different situation there, but it could be a sign of the future. And so really what we've been playing with as a team is, okay, we're at 50% on an aggregate today. I think Indianapolis's metro is closer to 60%. So doing better by 10 points than the average. Chicago's doing a little bit worse. But I I think on average, we can say for the Midwest, across the board, 50% is probably where, if we aggregated everything out, is about where we are, right? I don't have the data to necessarily do that, but I think it's a fair guess Mm -hmm. when we're dealing with averages and law numbers. And so we have two cases we're looking at, right? We assume that it's going to continue to recover from this amount, albeit at a slow pace. Mm -hmm. But we think best case, it probably tops out. 80% 80% of what it was. Yeah. So meaning kind of a net 20% of demand, right? Mm-hmm. And then worst case, we think it's probably around 70% at the end of the day, right? Of utilization. So that still means we have, you know, roughly 20 to 30% more to go in a recovery over the next, and I think it's over the next three to five years okay. that we see it. It's going to be slow and gradual as behavioral norms kind of begin to take hold. I think we're at that phase where I don't think we'll see major shifts one way or the other. We've seen, you know, in general, the other thing I know a lot of people have said is the labor market's remaining very resilient. 
until that shifts. I think we would have to do another episode to talk through my theory on why I don't think the labor market's going back to 10% unemployment because structurally it can't happen mm-hmm. like it used to in 08, 09. But I, I do see some, you know, just behavioral shifts starting to occur with certain companies kind of drawing some harder lines in the sand without mm-hmm. utilization. Makes sense. Right. So, but at the end of the day, we have to take that number and say, okay, somewhere between 20 and 30% of demand has been wiped off the face of the earth. Right? Gosh, that's harsh. Think about that. Yeah. Right. 20 to 30%. Now here's the reality of it. We're doing this to aggregate numbers to mm-hmm. an aggregate market. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we all know real estate's local and it's my building versus your building, et cetera. Right. So I'm not, I'm, I'm paying a broad brush here. And within that, I don't want somebody on listening to say, Oh, is, is the building I own going to be screwed? Well, right. It depends. There's a lot of factors. <laughs> yeah, it right? could be. I will say when we look at absorption numbers nationally, the cities that are doing very well for office right now are in the Sun Belt, right? Mm-hmm. It's Florida, it's Atlanta, mm-hmm. it's Dallas, it's Phoenix, because people, the net in migration there is astronomically higher than the national average, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the one thing about commercial real estate that was pounded in my head at a very young age was positive demographics are good for all commercial real estate, meaning if there's more people living here than yesterday, there's more demand for goods and services and employment. Therefore, it'll have a positive impact on commercial real estate, all asset classes, everything from multifamily to hotels to retail, to retail, yeah. to office, to industrial. If you have positive population migration, you're going to do fine in general. Now, will there be winners and losers? Sure. Every market has those, mm-hmm. but in general. So we'll just say, we'll just make it easy for listeners today. 25% of the loss of demand somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. People have estimated 10 to 15% nationally. I honestly think in the Midwest, it's going to fare worse. My reason for saying that is the population growth of the Midwest historically has been at or just above the national average of just general U.S. population growth. Mm-hmm. And that's for a lot of reasons. We won't get into all of them. <laughs> but in general, I do not expect Indianapolis to all of a sudden have a 20% net population in migration year over year. We're just not going to see it. Right. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, I think Indianapolis is a great place. I think Cleveland's a great place. I think Chicago's a great place. I think Detroit's a great place. But we are not seeing that type of population growth. Mm -hmm. Chicago shrank from the last census. Detroit shrank. Cleveland shrank. Period. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. It's just the reality of it. I don't think we're going to turn that ship around. Right. So I don't think it's reasonable to to anticipate or look at numbers in the Sun Belt Let's talk Midwest. So 25% net demand down. What does that mean in, in real dollar terms? So if so, what I look at is I look at our total inventory, right? 388 million, 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 million square feet. A little Austin Powers reference there. And I go 25% of that is obsolete. So that's another 97 million, million. square feet across all CBDs, across all those cities, 97 million square feet. In our study, there's one, two, three, six, 13 different MSAs. So per MSA, you know, 97 million divided by 13 is roughly eight, seven and a half million square feet per MSA. Obviously, it's not going to be evenly distributed, right? Right. Naturally, we would expect Chicago being the largest that market to see the majority of it. But what that means is there is millions of square feet per MSA that are have zero demand prospects, likely in perpetuity. What properties those are are typically the B and C class older office buildings, the ones that 
have reached a point of obsolescence, if Mm -hmm. you will, whether functionally in design or just general aesthetic, right? And the only way that turns around is really one of two things. Some markets, it may just be locationally. It just doesn't make sense anymore to have office there. It's too far from a commute standpoint, location. We talked about that with some of our other guests being a key return to office. Convenience is is key. So if it's not well located, that's your first sign to say, <laughs> hmm, this one might not do well. Location, location, location. Right? Because the idea, what I call commodity office, meaning I just need butts and seats and mm-hmm. I just need to pack this with people f- to run a call center, that's gone. Mm-hmm. Let's let's. Get rid of that idea. Not many companies are doing it at all. And in fact, they're giving that space back. But if you've ever been inside some of these call center buildings, they don't leave much beyond the functional. Correct. Are they bad places to work? No. Are they exciting places to work? No. (laughs) (laughs) But those are the types of buildings or Mm -hmm. buildings that historically, you know, from the way tenants use space now, meaning collaboration, value focused for the employee. Uh, meaning that not only does the building and the space itself have to offer functional utility, but also the surrounding area, right? It has to be a draw and attraction. If you don't have those assets nearby, that's a second warning sign, right? Mm-hmm. Bad location. We should know this mm-hmm. as commercial real estate professionals, that location, location, location. But sometimes over time, I think we've forgotten about this. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that are going to struggle the most. Now, how does the market, what does that mean for vacancy rates? Well, it's not all going to come to market at the same time, right? What I said is it's a car crash in slow motion, right? So there's a lot of these buildings that have leases on it for five or six more years being underutilized space. At the end of the day, those are legal obligations. As long as the tenants don't default, those landlords will receive checks. The problem in the market comes into when that landlord has five years left on a lease and needs to refi their debt. And the bankers and the brokers and the appraisers, et cetera, take a look at that asset and they go, hmm, you want to extend your lease for 10 or your, your mortgage terms for 10 years. You got a lease at five. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about those prospects. <laughs> right? Right. And so we're going to see vacancies continue to increase. I think, albeit at a, a kind of a clip, I don't think we see in the Midwest, I don't think we see a reversal on vacancy rates for the next three years. I think we're only going to start seeing it ratchet upwards as more and more of this space comes back to market. Mm -hmm. And then two things have to occur or three things really. One, A, if the ownership is positioned and capitalized in the right way, potentially they can reposition. Assuming location works, nearby amenitization works, and there's the right capital structure in place to enable that, Mm -hmm. right? Problem is you got to find investors, equity, and debt partners that believe in the business case. So you have to have a fundamental business case now. It's not just a given. The second piece of that is they can be repurposed. And we're already seeing that accelerate, right? We're seeing um, conversion to multifamily, conversion to hotel. And in the case of some suburban assets, in particular in Chicago, we haven't quite seen it throughout the rest of the Midwest, but Chicago is the first market where we're seeing, at least for suburban buildings, teardowns are repurposed to other uses. Mm -hmm. And we're just starting to see in other parts of the Midwest where someone's buying, and in particular suburban environments where we're buying a distressed, you know, suburban office building and converting it and then developing what was once the parking lot into outlots for retail or multifamily, senior living, et cetera. So we'll see that continue to accelerate. And the, and the third is really, I think that it's going to hinge on things is how quickly do city leadership 
come to the table with programs to incentivize these buildings before they really start to impact the tax rolls. Mm -hmm. This is something I had lunch with a person that works in, in public, you know, finance. And I said, this is the biggest risk to the cities in the Midwest is that they sit on their hands, wait until it's a problem. It goes vacant. Mm -hmm. Wait until it hits receivership and the taxes are appealed because it's a vacant building that's impaired. And then the tax bill gets cut in a half or a third or fourth or whatever the number is. And then it starts to impact public finance, mm-hmm. right? And then it becomes a nuisance and a problem. If we let that happen, these numbers get dramatically worse, right? And I think it wouldn't be surprising to see in some of these markets, 30 to 40% direct vacancy in three years time. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. We're seeing it in some markets already in the suburban category. Chicago is an example. Almost 30% of space in the suburbs is vacant at present time. Detroit, similar conundrum Mm -hmm. right now. And so the only way we stem that off and help in general kind of restabilize the market is all partners at the table, not just debt, not just capital and equity, but also public finance has to come to the table and start figuring out what's the future for these assets. Because as we said almost 90 million square feet, almost 100 million square feet across the entire Midwest is potentially obsolete in one form or fashion. And it needs to be converted to another use before it becomes a problem. And so I think to wrap it up, and I don't mean this to be alarmist at all, I do think it's going to happen slowly. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I do think there's going to be some very serious challenges for some buildings long-term and owners trying to find source new debt. At the same time, where I'm hopeful is that for a lot of these banks and lending institutions that lived through the great financial crisis and saw what happens when you take all these things to foreclosure and all of a sudden you have a vortex in the market mm-hmm. where the residual property values start going down because everything's hitting the auction block right? and the market's flooded with distressed assets. You don't want that to occur either. And honestly, the bank doesn't want to be in position of operating this mm-hmm. asset. Mm-hmm. They don't have the skills. But I do think for some owners, the earlier you wake up to the fact that some of these buildings probably are not best used as an office building is probably the better to get ahead of this while you still have options on the table. Otherwise, the options begin to narrow really quickly. Paige, what do you think? Were those numbers say, and surprising? And if you are one of those owners and you need a real estate <laughs> broker, call Andrew. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We've done a lot of conversion and we've done a lot of that. We've been down the road there pretty pretty deeply in a number of assets in, in the Indianapolis and as well as in the Midwest, finding those options, marketing it the right way, knowing those buyers, because it is a different way to underwrite a property mm-hmm. than just a stabilized investment sale. And the best you can do is get out ahead of it and mm-hmm. plan because otherwise you could be in a real world of hurt when your options are limited. Right. Just being prepared. Um, but Paige, did this kind of surprise you? It, Some of these, the a magnitude? Little bit, yes, but I think like anything it's full. It's it's got to come full circle at some point. It, just like it, we keep saying about industrial, it can't keep on this trajectory of booming. At some point, it's going to hit the ceiling and fall out. Right. So that I mean, unfortunately, that's happening right now for office over the next three to five years. Yeah, and I, and I think the difference between industrial and office is that there was a we've talked about the paradigm shift. Mm-hmm just the demand characteristics of why someone signs a 10 or 15 year office lease is different than it was before. We've learned that it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Now I do, I think it's necessary for vast majority of corporations. Yes. But what it looks like compared to 10 years ago, very different. Why they use this space is different. 
and why it's there on the PL is a different story. Now, I think it has tremendous benefits, but at the same time, in general, we have to admit that behavior has permanently shifted. And the other piece of this that I think has gotten lost, and I tried to throw these elements in there, are the macroeconomic factors. And I think population growth is such one that's so basic and fundamental that I think a lot of real estate practitioners lose sight of that as being a key driver. But for me, when I look at real estate investments, I think about it in terms of the most important factor. Is this area going to grow or not? Because you buy the real estate, and I know we like to talk about comps and cap rates and all this other stuff on a comparative basis, and that's great to some extent. However, you know, you, you add value when you buy it. And so if you think about it in terms of trajectory and where the market's going, and I think for office in particular, there's the ones that will be successful, the investors in the space that will be successful will develop a new methodology as the way they look at these assets. And it's going to be more similar, in my opinion, to retail. Retail for a long time has been very demographic focused. Mm-hmm. Foot traffic, you know, and some of the terminology won't be the same, but I think the rigor that a lot of sophisticated retail investors take into investing in and in, in developing assets is going to be the same for office all of a sudden. Because retail, as you know, Paige, brick and mortar is not essential Mm-mm. to be successful in retail right. anymore like it used to be. It's not essential. Yeah. But if it's done well, it can be an advantage. Correct. Right. We've seen that. And you've, you know, I mean, you worked at one of the largest department store retailers, right, in the U.S. And, you know, there was, there was a time probably when you started versus now, if you looked at the number of stores, it's probably shifted pretty mm-hmm. dramatically, right? And I think you look at Macy's and others and their slow adoption to e-commerce and some of the pitfalls that that occurred. I don't think brick and mortar goes anywhere and it hasn't. In fact, brick and mortar retail has done remarkably well. It's been kind of an unspoken darling out of COVID because there's still value, but the formatting is so different. Right. And I think the same is going to apply for office space. Yes. I don't think office space is going anywhere. Do we probably need less of it in aggregate in a very macro sense? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. However, I don't. I think its place at the table has just shifted. Correct. It hasn't gone away. I agree. And so I think there's hope for office space, but I think as a practitioner, we need to start really understanding and how to point to the data of those nuances to guide our clients, whether that's on the tenant side or on the landlord investor side of how to read the tea leaves going forward. And I think it's going to take three to five years at least to kind of get back to some sort of what we'll call normal, normal right? Because there are going to be blocks that hit the market and they're going to reverberate and it's going to be very choppy waters in particular, the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I think if we dug into different areas and regions of the country, I think we would have slightly different, different forecasts, but I think in the Midwest in general, it's going to be more choppy. So buckle up. Three buckle years up. is not that long. No, not in commercial real estate. No. Three to five years is nothing. Right. It's nothing. That's part of a cycle. <laughs> we say that, but you know. No, it's true. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Tomorrow's but. not guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think, you know, if you're investing in office now, new office that's well positioned, you're probably going to make a smart bet, you know? Now, it depends on your horizon and all these other factors, and you got to take that into consideration. But I do think that well-positioned new office amenitized the right way has done really well. Mm-hmm. And we've seen examples of that in real life. We've seen it over at Bottle Works and Mass Ave Boulder and what's going on at Stutz. We've seen that in Midtown Carmel and mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in Chicago and Fulton Market. We're seeing it 
in different parts of other cities as well, too. It's doing really well. People want nice, amenitized, modern space with all the modern, modern, modern. perks and features. Yes. And I think there's going to be new amenities to come to the market that people we haven't even contemplated yet. Especially with all the AI stuff. Correct. Correct. But at the same time, we've seen in the same instance, those that lagged. And it's a lot of a bit of a haves and have nots. Mm -hmm. And I think retail went through this and came out much stronger. And I think office is going to have to trudge the same path, but it will find redemption. We're here to tell you. It's going to, it's going to happen. <laughs> Just it's going to happen on. because, you know, a lot of people, it's kind of joke, right? Like, Hey, would you want to be a retail broker in 2008, 2009? No. Right. But those that stuck it out and saw the shifts, seen the recovery, mm -hmm. and it's been pretty remarkable. I think you'll say the same thing about an office broker. You know, hey, do you want to be an office broker in 2020 to 2025? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. But at the same time, I think there's huge opportunities on both sides of the coin to add tremendous value to our clients. And it'll pay out long term. Right. All Paige, right. any other closing thoughts? No, I'm just saying just stay positive for those Stay positive landlords out there. out there. No, it will be, but also listen to the right advisors. Right. I've been in the room with a lot of owners um, talking through repositioning strategies. And to be honest, I get a couple of different, you know, bits of feedback. I get the ones that go through the grief and they, you know, denial this, blaming others, et cetera. Then right. Accept, uh, then, then acceptance. Eventually acceptance. I think the quicker you get to acceptance, yes. I think the better, right. And start talking options and being realistic and get multiple opinions. Don't be afraid to really dig in on the numbers, challenge your advisors. But at the end of the day, I think if you're in a kind of a rocky position or you feel like your building probably fits in one of those categories, call us. Let's just have an open conversation. And our number is. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think if you get out ahead of it, it can end up a lot better mm -hmm. than if you wait until it's an emergency because your options will be far limited. It's just the reality of it. And I think that makes sense, right? right? It's any asset or security. If you have a plan and you seek the right advice and you then execute on it, you're going to be successful. And if you're proactive, if you're reactive, naturally you're going to be reacting to circumstance. And so you're going to have less options. Right. That's intuitive, but sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. So, you know, be on the lookout. Also be proactive. Have Re a plan. Have a plan. If you don't know Love what it. you're doing in five years, you know, have a plan. So- all right. Well, until the next episode of Urban Foundry, just so you guys know, all the data today came from Castle Systems via Bloomberg News, um, K-A-S-T-L-E, and then our Collier's US Q1 2023 National Office Market Report. Just so you cite sources and references. Until next time, thank you for listening to Urban Foundry. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.